0: Chapters twenty seven and twenty eight of the Pawn's Count by e Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter twenty seven. Fisher, as he waited for Pamela the following afternoon in the sitting room of her flat on Fifty-eighth Street, felt that although the practical future of his life might be decided in other places, it was here that its real climax would be reached pamela herself was to pronounce sentence upon him he was feeling scarcely at his best an examination in the courthouse which he had imagined would last only a few minutes had been protracted throughout the afternoon the district attorney had asked him a great many questions some rather awkward ones and the inquiry itself had been almost grudgingly adjourned for a few hours and here in pamela's sitting-room the first things which caught his eye were the headlines of one of the afternoon papers. Western millionaire engages the girl Hesta's murderer as chauffeur. Attempted murder and suicide in Fifth Avenue last night. Fisher pushed the newspaper impatiently away, and in the act of doing so the door was opened, and Pamela entered. She came towards him with outstretched hand. I see you are looking at the account of your misdeeds, she said as she seated herself behind a tea tray will you tell me why a cautious man like you engages, without reference, a chauffeur who turns out to be a murderer?' Fisher frowned irritably. For four hours, he complained, several lawyers and a most inquisitive police captain have been asking me the same question in a hundred different ways. I engaged the man because I needed a chauffeur badly. He was to have brought his references this morning. I was only trusting him for a matter of a few hours. "'And during those few hours,' she observed, he seems to have developed a violent antipathy to Mr. Lutchester. "'I do not understand the affair at all,' Mr. Fisher declared, "'and, if I may say so, I am a little weary of it. I came here to discuss another matter altogether.' She leaned back in her place. "'What have you come to discuss, Mr. Fisher?' "'That depends so much upon you,' he replied. "'If you give me any encouragement, I can put before you a great proposition.' If your prejudices, however, remain as I think they always have been, on the side of England, why, then I can do nothing. If I counted for anything, Pamela said, I mean to say that if it mattered to anyone what my attitude was, I would start by admitting that my sympathies are somewhat on the side of the Allies. On the other hand, my sympathies amount to nothing at all compared with my interest in the welfare of the United States. I am perfectly selfish in that respect. "'Then you have an open mind to hear what I have to say,' Fisher remarked. "'I am glad of it. You encourage me to proceed.' "'That is all very well,' Pamela said, stirring her tea. "'But I cannot help asking, once more, why you come to me at all. What have I to do with any proposition you may have to make?' "'Just this,' he explained. "'I have a serious and authentic proposition to make to the American government. I cannot make it officially.' although it comes from the highest of all sources for the most obvious reasons it may seem better worth listening to today, perhaps than a week ago so far as you are concerned that is because you believed in british invincibility upon the sea i never did go on please pamela begged i am still waiting to realize my position in all this i should like Fisher declared my proposition to reach the president through senator hastings and Senator Hastings is your uncle.' "'I see,' Pamela murmured. "'My offer is a very simple one,' Fisher continued. "'Your secret service is so bad that you probably know nothing of what is happening. Ours, on the other hand, is still marvelously good, and what I am going to tell you is surely the truth. Japan is accumulating great wealth. She is saving her ships and men for one purpose and one purpose only.' Europe could not bribe her highly enough to take a more active part in this war. Her price was one which could not be paid. She demanded a free hand with the United States. "'This,' Pamela admitted, "'is quite interesting, but it is entirely in the realms of conjecture, is it not?' "'Not wholly,' Fisher insisted. "'At the proper time I should be prepared to bring you evidence that tentative proposals were made by Japan to both England and France.' asking what would be their attitude should she provide them with half a million men and undertake transport if, at the conclusion of the war, she desired a settlement with the United States. The answer from France and England was the same, that they could not countenance an inimical attitude towards the States. "'You are bound to admit, then,' Pamela remarked, "'that England played the game here.' "'The bribe was not big enough,' Fisher replied dryly. "'England would sell her soul.' but not for a mess of pottage. To proceed, however, Japan has practically kept out of the war. She is enjoying a prosperity never known before, and for every million pounds worth of munitions she exports to Russia, she puts calmly on one side 25% to accumulate for her own use. At the conclusion of the war she will be in a position she has never occupied before, and while the rest of the world is still gasping, she will proceed to carry out what has been the dream of her life, the invasion of your western states. "'I admit that this is plausible,' Pamela confessed, "'but you are only pointing out a very obvious danger for which I imagine that we are already fairly well prepared.' "'Believe me,' Fisher said earnestly, "'you are not. It is this fact which makes the whole situation so vital to you. Later on in our negotiations I will show you proof of your danger. Meanwhile,' let me proceed to the offer which i am empowered to make which comes direct from the one person in germany whose word is unshakable pamela changed her position a little as though to escape from the sunlight which was finding its way underneath the broad blinds her eyes were fixed upon her visitor she listened intently to every word he had to say despite some vague feeling of mistrust which she acknowledged to herself might well have been prejudiced she found the situation interesting even stimulating. Her few excursions into the world of high politics had never brought her into such a position as this. She felt both flattered and interested, attracted too in some nameless way by the man's personality, his persistence, his daring, his wholeheartedness. The situation was instinct with interest to her. "'But why make it me?' she murmured. "'You are to be my delegate,' he answered. "'Take the substance of what I say to you, to your uncle try for your country's sake to interest him in it the offer which i make shall save you a vast amount of sacrifice it shall save your dislocating the industries of the country and sowing the seeds of a disturbing and yet inadequate militarism i offer you in short a german alliance against japan the value of that offer pamela remarked thoughtfully would depend rather upon the issue of the present war wouldn't it Fischer's face darkened. His tone was almost irritable. "'That is already preordained,' he said firmly. "'You see, I will be quite frank with you. Germany has lost her chance of sweeping and complete victory. The result of the war will be a return to the status quo ante. Yet, believe me, Germany will be strong enough to settle some of the debts she owes, and the debt to Japan is one of these.' "'Still there is the practical question of getting men and ships over from Germany to America.' pamela persisted it is already solved was the swift reply at the proper time i will show you and prove how it can be done at present not one word can pass my lips it is one of the secrets on which the future of germany depends and the price pamela asked that america adopts our view as to the high seas traffic fisher replied this would mean the stopping of all supplies munitions and ammunition from america to england we offer you an alliance. We ask only for your real and actual neutrality for the remainder of the war. We offer a great and substantial advantage, a safeguard for your country's future, in return for what? Simply that America will pursue the course of honor and integrity to all nations. America, Pamela declared, has never failed in this. Fisher shrugged his shoulders. There is more than one point of view, he reminded her. Will you take my message with you to Washington to-morrow?' "'Yes,' Pamela promised. "'I will do that. The rest, of course, remains with others. I do not myself go so far even,' she added, "'as to declare myself in sympathy with you.' "'And yet,' he insisted with swift violence, "'it is your sympathy which I desire more than anything in the world. Your sympathy, your help, your companionship, a little, a very little, at first, of your love. "'I am afraid that I am not a very satisfactory person, from that point of view,' Pamela confessed. "'I have a great sympathy with every man who is really out for the great things. "'But so far as you are concerned, Mr. Fisher, or anyone else,' she went on after a moment's hesitation, "'I have no personal feeling.' "'That shall come,' he declared. "'Then please wait a little time before you talk to me again like this,' she said, rising and holding out her hand. "'At present there is no sign of it there is so much that i could offer you he pleaded gripping the hand which she had given him in farewell so much that i could do for your country believe me i am not talking idly i do believe that she admitted you are a very clever man mr fisher and i think that you represent all that you claim perhaps if we really do negotiate but you must he interrupted impatiently you must listen to me for every reason politically for your country's sake personally, because I shall offer you and give you happiness and a position you could never find elsewhere. For a moment her eyes seemed to be looking through him, as though some vision of things outside the room were troubling her. Her finger had already touched the bell, and a servant was standing upon the threshold. We shall meet in Washington, Mr. Fisher concluded, with an air of a prophet, as he took his leave. End of chapter 27 Chapter 28 it was within half an hour of closing time that same afternoon when Lutchester walked into James Van Tayl's office. The young man greeted him with some surprise. "'Will you do some business for me?' Lutchester asked, without any preliminaries. "'Sure.' "'How many Anglo-French will you buy for me? I can obtain credit by cable tomorrow through any bank for twenty or thirty thousand pounds.' "'You want to buy Anglo-French?' Van Tayl repeated softly. His visitor nodded. "'Any news?' Lutchester hesitated and van teyl continued with an apologetic gesture. I beg your pardon. That's not my job anyway, to ask questions. I'll buy you twenty-five thousand if you like. Guess they can't drop much lower. Lutchester sat down. Thank you, he said. I will wait. A little ripple of excitement went through the office as van teyl started his negotiations. It seemed to Lutchester that several telephones and half a dozen perspiring young men were called into his service. In the end, Van Tail made out a note and handed it to him. "'I could have done better for you yesterday,' he observed. "'The market is strengthening all the time. There are probably some rumors.' A boy went by along the pavement outside, waving a handful of papers. His cry floated in through the open window. "'Reported loss of many more German battleships. British claim victory.' Van Tail grinned. "'You got here just in time,' he murmured but i suppose you knew all about this i have known since three o'clock lutchester replied that all the reports of a german victory were false you will find when the truth is known that the german losses were greater than the british then if that's so van teyl remarked i've got one client who'll lose a hatful which you ought to make coming up town i should like if i may lutchester said to be permitted to pay my respects to your sister why that's fine Van Teyl exclaimed unconvincingly we'll take the subway up they left the office and plunged into the indescribable horrors of their journey when they stepped out into the sunlit street in another atmosphere Van Teyl laid his hand upon his companion's arm in friendly fashion say lutchester he began i don't know that you are going to find pamela exactly all that she might be in the way of amiability and so on "'I know these things are done on the other side, but here it's considered trying your friends pretty high to take a lady of Sonia's reputation, where you are likely to meet your friends. No offense, eh?' "'Certainly not,' Lutchester replied. "'I was sorry, of course, to see you last night. On the other hand, Sonia is an old friend, and my dinner with her had an object. I think I could explain it to your sister.' "'I don't know that I should try,' Van Tail advised. For all her cosmopolitanism—' Pamela has some quaint ideas, however I thought I'd warn you, in case she's a bit awkward. Pamela, however, had no idea of being awkward. She welcomed Lutchester with a very sweet smile and gave him the tips of her fingers. "'I was wondering whether we should see you again before we went,' she said. "'We are leaving for Washington to-morrow.' "'By the three o'clock train, I hope,' he ventured. She raised her eyebrows. "'Why, are you going to?' "'I hope so.' I should have thought most of the munition works, she observed, were further north. They are, he acknowledged, but I have business in Washington. By the by, will you both come out and dine with me to-night? Teyl glanced at his sister. She shook her head. I am so sorry, she said, but we are engaged. Perhaps we shall see something of you in Washington. I have no doubt you will, Lutchester replied. All the same, he added, It would give me very great pleasure to entertain you at dinner this evening.' "'Why, particularly this evening?' she asked. He looked at her with a queer directness, and Pamela felt certain very excellent resolutions crumbling. She suffered her brother to leave the room without a word. "'Because,' he explained, "'I think you will find a different atmosphere everywhere. There will be news in the evening papers.' "'News?' she repeated eagerly. "'You know I'm always interested in that. The reports of the German naval victory were not only exaggerated, Lutchester said calmly, they were untrue. Our own official announcement was clumsy and tactless, but you will find it amplified and explained to-night. Pamela listened with an interest which bordered upon excitement. "'You are sure?' she exclaimed. "'Absolutely,' he replied. "'My notification is official.' "'So you think if we dined with you?' The atmosphere tonight would be different, she observed, with a sudden attempt at the recondite. Lutchester looked into her eyes without flinching. Pamela, to her annoyance, was worsted in the momentary duel. We cannot always choose our atmosphere, he reminded her. Mademoiselle Sonia is perhaps connected with the regulation of the munition supplies from America? Mademoiselle Sonia, Lutchester asserted, is an old friend of mine. Apart from that, it was my business to talk to her.' "'Your business?' Lutchester assented with perfect gravity. "'Within a day or two, he said. "'Now, if you made a point of it, I could explain a great deal.' Pamela threw herself into a chair, almost irritably. "'You have the cult of being mysterious, Mr. Lutchester,' she declared. "'To be quite frank with you, you seem to be the queerest mixture of any man I ever knew.' "'It is the fault of circumstances,' he regretted, if I am sometimes compelled to present myself to you in an unfavorable light. Those circumstances are passing. You will soon begin to value me at my true work. We had half promised, Pamela murmured, to go out with Mr. Fisher this evening. The more reason for my intervention, Lutchester observed, Fisher is not a fit person for you to associate with. She laughed curiously. People who saw you at the roof garden last night might say that you were scarcely a judge, Pamela retorted, people who did not know the circumstances might have considered me guilty of an indiscretion. Lutchester admitted, but they would have been entirely wrong. On the other hand, your friend Fisher is a would-be murderer, a liar, and is at the present moment engaged in intrigues which are a most immoral compound of duplicity and cunning. I shall begin to think, Pamela murmured that you don't like Mr. Fisher. I detest him heartily, Lutchester confessed. I find him singularly interesting, Pamela announced, sitting up in her chair. I dare say you do, Lutchester replied. Women are always bad judges of our sex. All the same, you are not going to marry him. How do you know he wants to marry me? Pamela demanded. Instinct. And what do you mean by saying that I am not going to marry him? Because, Lutchester announced, you are going to marry someone else. Pamela rose to her feet. There was a little spot of color in her cheeks. "'Am I indeed?' she exclaimed. And whom, pray?' "'That I will tell you at Washington,' Lutchester promised. "'You know his name, then?' "'I know him intimately,' was the cool reply. "'What about dinner to-night?' "'We are going to dine with Mr. Fisher,' Pamela decided. "'I really don't think so,' Lutchester objected. "'For one thing, Mr. Fisher will probably have to attend the police court again later on.' "'What about?' for having hired a famous murderer to try and get rid of me, Lutchester explained suavely. Do you really believe that? Pamela scoffed. Why should he want to get rid of you? What harm can you do him? I am trying to find out, Lutchester replied grimly. Still, since you asked the question, the pocket-book which is on its way to Germany, and which I picked up when the was taken ill— Oh, yes, I know about that, Pamela interrupted. That is the one thing that always sets me thinking about you. "'What did you do it for? "'How did you know what it meant to me?' "'Divination, I imagine,' Lutchester answered. "'Or perhaps I was thinking what it might mean to Mr. Fisher.' She looked at him, and her face was a study in mixed expressions. Her forehead was a little knitted, her eyes almost strained in their desire to read him. Her lips were petulant. "'Dear me, what a puzzle you are!' she exclaimed. "'All the same, I am going to wait for Mr. Fisher.' It doesn't matter whether one dines or sups. I suppose he will get away from the police court some time or other.' "'But anyway,' he protested, "'you've heard all that Mr. Fisher has to say. Now I, on the other hand, haven't shown you my hand yet.' "'Heard all that Mr. Fisher has to say?' she repeated. "'Certainly. Wasn't he here for several hours with you this afternoon?' Didn't he promise you an alliance with Germany against Japan if you could persuade certain people at Washington to change their tone and attitude towards the export of munitions? This, she declared, trying to keep a certain agitation from her tone, is mere bluff. Lutchester was suddenly very serious indeed. Listen, he said. I can prove to you, if you will, that it is not bluff. I can prove to you that I really know something of what I am talking about. "'There is nothing I should like better,' she declared. "'To begin with,' Lutchester said, "'the pocket-book which Nikosti is supposed to have stolen from your room, "'the pocket-book of young Sandy Graham, which Mr. Fisher has sent to Germany, "'does not contain the formula of the new explosive, "'or any other formula that amounts to anything.' "'Just how do you know that?' she demanded. "'To continue,' Lutchester said, "'playing with a little ornament upon the mantelpiece, "'you have an appointment.' within half an hour, I believe, with Mr. Paul Haskell, who is a specialist in explosives, having an official position with the American government. She had ceased to struggle any longer with her surprise. She looked at him fixedly, but remained silent. It is your belief, he proceeded, that you are going to hand over to him the formula of which we were speaking. It is no belief, she replied. It is certainty. I took it myself from Graham's pocket. Lutchester nodded. "'Good. Have you opened it?' "'I have,' she declared. "'It is without doubt the formula.' "'On the other hand, I am here to assure you that it is not,' Lutchester replied. Her hand was tearing at the cushion by her side. She moistened her lips. There was something about Lutchester hatefully convincing. "'What do you mean?' she demanded. "'Is this a trick? You won't get it. No one but Mr. Haskell will get that formula from me.' Lutchester smiled it will only puzzle him when he gets it to tell you the truth the formula is rubbish i don't believe you she said firmly if you think you are going to interfere with my handing it over to him you are mistaken i have no wish to do anything of the sort lutchester assured her make a bargain with me mr haskell will be here soon unfasten the little package you are carrying somewhere about your person hand him the envelope and watch his face If he tells you that what you have offered him is a coherent and possible formula for an explosive, then you can look upon me forever afterwards as the poor, foolish person you sometimes seem to consider me. If, on the other hand, he tells you that it is rubbish, I shall expect you at the Ritz-Carlton at half-past eight. There was a ring at the bell. She rose to her feet. "'I accept,' she declared. "'That is Mr. Haskell. And by the by, Mr. Lutchester.' don't order too elaborate a dinner for i am very much afraid you will have to eat it all yourself now au revoir she added as the door was opened in obedience to her summons and a servant stood prepared to show him out if we don't turn up to-night you will know the reason i am very hopeful lutchester replied as he turned away End of chapter twenty eight recording by tom weiss tom's audiobooks dot